You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. I'm Mike, by the way. <laughs> they let me pastor this place for some reason. I don't know why. But um, I'm really stoked for, for women's retreat and groups as well. I've seen over the years how many people have gotten not just connected with each other, but connected closer to God through those avenues. So I want to really encourage you. I've been praying, actually, that you will jump into those. Take advantage of those opportunities. And, and God always works out the details, of like who rooms with who and how it works and who gets into what group based on their schedule. I mean, God always goes before us and works that stuff out. So Check out the group options that are down there. Uh, ladies, sign up for a retreat. I think, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, tomorrow starts our second week of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. How's it going? All right. We're enthusiastic. Some of you are like, I gave up coffee and I want to choke you. Uh, uh, tempted you as you walked in the door today too, didn't I? Sorry about that. Uh, no, it's going well, man. We've got some talented writers in our church. I, I, I've been starting every morning off reading the devotional and praying and journaling a little bit. Today's a catch-up day. If you notice, one of the changes we made this year is um, there's no new devotional reading today. It's just a day that you can journal a little extra or pray and write, write your thoughts out. So if you need to catch up, uh, use today. If you haven't started, you can still do this, okay? There are prayer guides on the black table on your way out today. And, and you say, well, I'm a week behind. It's okay. Like just, you're gonna catch up quickly. And even if you don't, so what if you go one week longer? It's not, like, it's not like there's anything sacred about January 9th through the 29th. You know, like those are just the dates that we selected as a church to do this. But uh, you could get started tomorrow and like God's ready to meet with you. Uh, and, and you can build that habit of daily meeting with him. Okay, so if you didn't get a book, pick one up and get started today. Uh, we're in a teaching series, as you see there on the screen, called Guardrails. We're leaning into a resource from North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, last week we actually heard from their pastor, Andy Stanley, on this message about uh, wisdom and, and choosing our friendships and, and who we spend time with. Um, the theme verse last week was that verse in Proverbs that says, if we walk with the wise, we'll become what? Wise. wise. Like, like, it's kind of the whole, hey, we influence one another thing. Imagine that. So you should spend your time with wise people because if you walk with fools, if you live with fools, you will suffer harm. It doesn't say you'll become a fool. It says you'll suffer harm. So like there's this collateral damage that can happen uh, when we hang out with the wrong people. And so he challenged us to be wise because I think sometimes we really underestimate how who we spend time with shapes who we become. Um, so last week we talked about that. And so the premise of this whole series is we need to be careful and we need to set up some protection mechanisms, some guardrails to, to keep us from the danger zone. And, and just like the guardrails on the side of the road, we wouldn't put the guardrail on the wrong side of the cliff, right? Like so that you hit it on the way down. Uh, that's not really helpful to you, right? You put the guardrail further in front of the danger zone to create a little boundary to create some buffer, some margin, so that you don't even get close to going over the cliff and hurting yourself or, or hurting someone else. Um, the hard part, though, is our world doesn't really encourage us to do this. We kind of just live one day at a time and, and live how we want to live. And in fact, you could even be mocked 
for being careful, for living carefully. Right? Like, man, those people are really paranoid and why do they need all these boundaries and what, don't they trust themselves? What's wrong with them? You know, like all of this kind of mockery. But, but so, in fact, some of these guardrails, I would say, um, culture can maybe view as repressive or even oppressive, particularly with what we're gonna talk about today. But here's the thing. The same culture that looks down on you for setting boundaries will shame you if you break them. I can't believe you did that. I, you, boy, that's just so old-fashioned to have that rule. And then you break the rule and damage is the result. And people go, wow, what a mess. What's wrong with you? So you have to decide, what are you willing to live with? Would you rather live with a little bit of mockery from time to time? Or would you rather live a life of regret? Those are the choices. Um, before I go too much further into the message. I want to give a little disclaimer, a little warning. This, today's message is for adults. Um, it's not going to be vulgar, okay? I would never say anything vulgar from the stage, but if it, I would say it's like PG-13. Um, so if you have someone in the room that's younger than a teenager and you want to try to get them, it just so happens that all the kids in our church decided that this would be the Sunday that none of them would want to go in the nursery, <laughs> including my own daughter, so that's cool. Um, Thank you uh, for that. Um, but I'm not sure what kind of conversations you're ready to have with your children today. And I don't want to, like, put you in a tough spot. Okay? So, the, you know, it, I love having kids in the room, too. I want to just preface this. Someone said, did you hear that kid, you know, crying? Doesn't that bother you? And I'm like, I have three kids. I'm used to tuning them out. It's not a, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I love having kids in this room. Uh, I love the fact that I don't know if I'm going to get run over in the hallway today. Like... <laughs> That is a sign of the healthy church. That's a sign of an awesome, that's a sign of the church I want to be a part of, right? There's a ton of churches that wish they had the problem that Mountain View had, where there's just too many kids running around. Um, but I don't write my sermons for kids. That's why we have a kids ministry. And I don't think about them when I write, and I'm not thinking about them today. So I'm just, that is like the world's longest disclaimer. But you decide, you decide what you want to do with your kids. But I just don't want to be the guy that gets the email this week that's like, you should have told us. I'm telling you, this is not necessarily for kids, okay? Um, last week and this week, we talked about relationships. Last week were friendships. This one is even for, more formative because once you make the decision to enter into this kind of relationship, you spend a lot of time together. Like every time you turn around, they're there, whether you want them to be or not. Uh, during COVID, some of us figured this out. We, we thought our marriages were really good. We really, we felt good about where we were at as a couple. Uh, and then we were forced to spend a lot of time together. And some of us, we realized our marriages are better when we go to work half the day. Uh, our, I love you more when you're not always here. Uh, don't, don't look at each other. That's like, don't point fingers. Don't do any of that, okay? That, but if you felt that way, that's okay. You're not alone in that, okay? Um, today, I want to talk about guardrails for marriage. And now, even if you're not married, uh, I think this message is for you. Because it isn't just about guarding your marriage. It's about guarding yourself for marriage and guarding yourself for married, from, from married people. You say, well, why in the world do we have to do that? That sounds really paranoid. All right? Listen to what Ephesians 5 says. This is kind of our theme verse, right, for the whole series. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? The days are evil. That's a really strong statement that we're living in evil days. I think it's just as true now as it was for Paul when he wrote this to the church in Ephesus. The days are evil. Okay, and, and when it comes to this idea of guardrails, I can't think of any other area where our culture seduces us out onto the ledge and then shames us when we fall more than in the area of infidelity and sexuality. It, it's just, I see it all over the place. Entices us to flirt with the line, right? Encourages us to fall off the ledge. But then when you do, oh, I can't believe you did that. We live in such a hypersexualized world. You don't need me to tell you that, okay? We could go, we could list all the ways that that is true. What's odd to me, though, is, is we've created this, like, anything goes culture, which really started back in, like, the 60s and the 70s, where this kind of thread starts, where it's like, just do whatever you want, and, and, and sex is a, primarily a tool to have fun or to have your personal needs met. Right? That's the world that we live in. I think we'd probably, I mean, don't shake your head too much, but I think we'd all go there. Um, we live in a world where more people will visit a pornographic website today than Amazon, uh, Netflix, and Twitter combined. That's a real stat. All right, we live in a world where I have to worry about what my kids are seeing out the car window as I drive down the road because who knows what's even on a billboard uh, on, on the side of the road or even in kids' programs. I was like, oh, it's rated kids-friendly. This will be kid-friendly. No, it's not kid-friendly. Wow, didn't see that coming. That's the world that we've created, right? But then we can't believe it. We're shocked when someone goes and sleeps with someone they're not committed to. It's like, what? How did that happen? Or we're surprised. We, we can't figure out, right? That's the culture we've built. And then we can't figure out why in that same culture, someone is sexually assaulted every 68 seconds. That's the statistic for the United States. It's like, how, what? I, can you believe that? I mean, who, who saw that coming? Uh, everyone, maybe? Seems like that would kind of just go together. But our world is like confused by that. And, and so we don't want there to be any boundaries with the way that we express our sexuality. And then we act surprised when, and, or even horrified at the damage that's ca being caused. It's kind of interesting. When you read the New Testament, specifically the letter of Paul's, he wasn't confused at all. Like he wouldn't be shocked by that at all. He'd go, well, yeah. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be today. What he writes runs totally counter to everything that, that, that his culture would have told him was true. And I think just like ours, it'll be the same. But he knew the consequences, right? He knew the consequences of not having this conversation, of not having guardrails up in this area. So he went there. He had a conversation about it. And as uncomfortable as it might make some of us, uh, we're going we're to have a conversation about it as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you've got a Bible out, uh, if you're in the Bible app, remember, click on events, and you can open up today's, today's, you can open up Mountain View Church's event for today, and it'll have all these scriptures in there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and as I read this, I want you to think about our world as well, 
Like, how does this line up with kind of how things are working out in, in our culture today? Because in verse 12, he's going to start by describing the general philosophy of the Greco-Roman first century world that he's writing to, right? He's writing to Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So hopefully you see the quotation marks up there around a couple phrases, or if you're looking at your Bible, you can see the different phrases there. Paul is having a, a uh, shadow argument with people who are not talking, right? He's using their quotations, general philosophies of his day. He's quoting them, and then he's responding with his own thoughts, right? So, so his challengers are saying, look, look, Paul, what I'm doing isn't illegal. I'm allowed to do this thing you're talking about. And, and Paul responds with, sure. Like, you, he, he admits that's true. You can, you can do that. You have the right to do that. But having the right to do something doesn't make it right. Having the right to do something doesn't make it right. That there's, there's a higher principle, there's a higher moral, a higher law than what's legal or illegal. That's essentially Paul's argument here. Something can be allowed, whether that's by written law in your nation or whether that's just by cultural consensus where we all go like, well, that's just kind of the way it is. Something can be allowed and still not be wise. Are you tracking with me? Okay. This is the only time you're going to nod your head in this sermon because you're afraid to lock eyes with me. That's fine. That's okay. Verse 13. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. That was their argument. And then Paul jumps in. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, he says, never. Why would you do that? No, never. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Okay, I warned you parents. This is gonna be a fun conversation at Wendy's today, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Okay. Here's what's interesting. I read this. We're 2,000 years later, right? This is written first century, 2,000 years later. And the popular view in Corinth when it came to sex, I think, is pretty much where we are 2,000 years later. That, that, that not a lot has really changed, as smart as we think we are and as wise as we think we are. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, I'm going to tell you the date, and some of you are going to think that I'm ancient, and some of you can't believe they let me pastor that I'm such a baby, okay? But... <laughs> It was 1999. Oh, I know. See, I knew it. You're like, I can't believe it. Okay. Ask Gen Z right now. They're like, man, that guy's an old fart up there on the stage. Like, <laughs> trust me, it just depends on where you're at on the spectrum of how you feel about that. Okay. But when I, when I was in, it was freshman year in high school, 1999, there was a song that came out that got really popular. And it was a song that we kind of listened to and we snickered about, but we didn't want our parents to know that we listened to. 
And every generation has a song like that, by the way. Right? You had a song when you were a kid that you were like, if my mama knew I was listening to this, she would smack me or wash my mouth out with soap or whatever. Whatever was allowed back then, it's changed, okay? <laughs> this song in 1999 said, here's the lyrics, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. <laughs> you know this song? Should I finish it? So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. That was in 1999. That was, that was a song, and we would laugh about that as teenage boys especially, and oh my gosh, you know. And some of you are like, I cannot believe he just said that in church. Have you, have you listened to the radio lately? Have you seen songs that are winning awards? Like not just like on the radio, but like, oh, this is the best song ever. Here's a trophy. I won't say those lyrics. That's not, it's, it's changed even more dramatically. But that sums up how I think a large portion of people in our culture uh, think about sex. Like, it's just bodies, it's mammals, like, whatever. It's just, just skin. It's just like, like, who cares, right? What's the, what's the big deal? And yet at the same time, almost everyone, I would, I would hope 100% of people in our culture believe that rape is wrong. That is a guardrail. That is a, law. that is a line in the sand that I hope everybody would agree, would go, boy, that's, nope, can't cross that line. That's, that's not okay. That is the one guardrail that our culture has held on to and probably even elevated. It would be, if I had to word, I'd say it's the moral of consent, that consent is what matters. Having consent from someone else, doing things that are consensual, like that is taught in every campus across America. Um, it's taught in sex ed in school. Like that is... That is the guardrail, that it needs to be consensual. Other than that, it's okay. But what that tells us then is that all of us agree that there is something so valuable about our bodies. And, and there's something so special about sex that it should never be forced or abused. That's what, that's what we're agreeing to when we agree to that guardrail, consent. And we don't have time to dig into the historicity of all of this today, but you should ask yourself, where does that come from? My response to our culture that would say consent is what matters, I would simply say, why? Why does it matter that we have consent if all you are is a body? And most scholars would tell you that where that start, the tide started to turn, because not everyone in Paul's day in first century Corinth would have said, oh yeah, that makes sense. They said, no, 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 the, the, the rich can exploit the poor sexually. Who cares? Right? The young and the old, all the, there were all kinds of, they had different rules of engagement. This was not a common idea in Paul's day, but it is today. And most scholars would trace that back to the teachings of Paul that the first century church had a different sexual ethic than the world that, guess what, actually empowered equality among the sexes and made consent a guardrail. Isn't that interesting? It came from passages like this, where Paul reminds us, hey, you can't detach a body from a soul. And that body and what you do with it and what you do with other people's bodies is sacred. It's sacred. 
That's the crux of Paul's argument in this chapter. The sex is not just physical, but it's spiritual. Now, you may not accept that view, and those of you watching online, you might be like, this guy's crazy, this isn't true at all. But if you do accept that view, where Paul goes next, what he says next makes sense to you. Okay, Paul says if your body isn't just a body, but it's actually sacred, it's spiritual. Then verse 18, he says we should flee, that's the word, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So the word translated as two words there, sexual immorality, is one word in the Greek. It's the, it's the Greek word porneia, and you can probably tell what word we get from that, porneia. Uh, but it doesn't just include that. It includes, and it's used in lots of different contexts in the New Testament, the word porneia. It includes any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, and it's used in all kinds of different contexts. Now, what's interesting is Paul seems to suggest here that there's something unique about this kind of sin. And he calls it a sin. It's not just me. He, he calls it a sin. He, there's something unique about this. Now, I grew up being taught that all sin is the same, right? All sin is, anybody shaking a head? That was what I was taught. All sin is the same, Mike. And on one level, that is true. I'm not trying to like blow up your entire theology. I'm going to offend you enough today. I really don't need that too. Uh, all sin is the same in some respects, right? All sin separates us from God. All sin grieves God. Uh, all, sin, all of us struggle with sin, by the way. None of us in this room are perfect, whether it's with this category or any other. And, and God doesn't especially look down on this category than others, like you're even more gone than anybody else. Like, that's not true. All sin is the same in those regards. But not all sins carry the same consequences, Right? All sin can be forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Christ. Like, your sin isn't any worse than mine in that way. Like, oh, it takes a little extra grace for God to forgive that one. Like, nope. Amen. Like, all sin can be forgiven. Is anyone in the room forgiven? Few of you. That's good. The rest of you, we're going to pray for you. That's good news because I've messed up a lot in my life. All sin is the same in that regard, but not all sins carry the same consequences. There are some sins that cause more damage than others. There are some sins that tend to stick with our lives longer. There are some sins that not only affect us, but affect other people more. There are some sins that not only affect me, but will affect my kids and my grandkids, right? Generational sin. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even if you're not a Bible person, you believe this. I think you intuitively get this because it's why in our justice system, we demand harsher penalties, sentences for certain crimes. Because we look at some and say, well, that, you know, stealing a carton of eggs right now because they're $12 a whatever, I don't know where they're at. Stealing a carton of eggs is not the same as murdering somebody, right? We all know that. So we have harsher sentences for certain crimes. It's why even though sometimes those crimes are harsher, it still doesn't feel like justice for victims who have been abused and raped and taken advantage of because they have to live with that trauma. There's a reason why even those people in prison like to try to separate themselves from everyone else because even people who committed other crimes look at them as the scum, right? There, there's, there's something about this sin that's different. And that's what Paul's trying to point out here. 
He uses weird language to do it, but I think that's what he's trying to suggest. So he says, when it comes to this, don't fight it. There's lots of scriptures that talk about how we should fight against certain sins and fight that and fight that. He says, don't fight it. Flee from it. Hear the difference? Don't fight it. Don't tiptoe up to the edge and think, come on, I'm gonna take you on. Let's do this. Don't get so close to the edge that you might slip and fall over. Stay so far back. Run the other direction. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this for us. Do you know the story of Joseph? Uh, Genesis chapter 39, right? Joseph goes from being a, a, a guy sold into slavery by his evil brothers and he ends up rising through Pharaoh's house and he gets put in charge of, he's like second in command. To send, or well, he, He's in charge of the guy's stuff who's second in command, Potiphar. And he's in Potiphar's house and there's this wealthy, powerful, probably nice-smelling, good-looking woman who's married, right? Potiphar's wife, who takes a liking of Joseph, and she starts to court him and flirt with him. And three times, she says, come to bed with me, right? Three times, she says, come to bed with me. Like, this is, did you know this story's in the Bible, by the way? Some of you are like, I should read the Old Testament. This is crazy. <laughs> it is, it's like real housewives of Egypt. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, it is. <laughs> She's trying her best. It's not, you know, come to bed with me, come to bed. She's flirting with him. And it says on the third time he turned her down, she grabs him, come to bed with me. He turns her down and it says he runs so fast out of that house that she's left holding his cloak. Right? And maybe just because I'm a guy, but I always think, was he naked under there? <laughs> like, did he run home and like hide behind every bush and tree? Like, how did, I don't know. I don't know how they dress or, or, or whatever. But that's, that was the seriousness where he's like, I'll just leave my clothes. Like, I am gone. I am getting out of here. I'm going to flee. Right? That's the encouragement Paul gives this church in the New Testament. Don't fight it. Certainly don't flirt with it. Flee from it. And then he closes out the chapter. He kind of doubles down on a few of the ideas we've already talked about, but let's finish it out. Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul says, has anyone told you? I mean, maybe you've never heard this before. Do you not know? Has anyone ever told you that that?" Your body, your, your body is a temple. Now, we read that and we're like, well, what does that mean? How does that work? But you would have to understand, in Corinth, everybody knew what a temple was. In, in the middle of Corinth is the temple of Aphrodite, goddess of love. Everybody could look and go, oh, yeah, that thing over there, that is a temple. What are temples? Temples are, are sacred places. They're, temples are are the places that we go to meet with God where we think that there's some kind of connection between God and us. There's this like heaven meets earth reality that happens in, in sacred places like temples. And Paul says, yeah, that's right. Do you not realize your body's one of those? They probably were like, what? Yeah, your body is not just a body. It is a sacred place. And so is the body of your neighbor, 
and your spouse and your coworker and that person on a screen that you don't know their story and you don't know how they ended up there and you don't know anything about them. But guess what? Their body is sacred too. And he says, and this is even probably harder for some of us, that body doesn't belong to you. It's not just yours to do with whatever you want. That is extremely contrary to our culture. That, that my body doesn't ultimately belong to me. It's like, no way, you're crazy, Paul. That's so oppressive and repressive. I can do whatever I want with my body. And I think Paul would say, yeah, you're right. You're right. You are legally allowed to do whatever you want with your body, but that doesn't make it wise. That doesn't mean it'll end well. But if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says you'll remember that your body was redeemed by the body of another. For these 21 days, I've decided to give up. Um, I'm fasting from social media. And uh, I missed it for about 32 seconds. And since then, it's been great. I'm like, why, well, why will I go back? Will I go back? Honestly, if I, didn't, I think if I didn't have to help run the church account, I probably never would, but it's just a tough reality. Um, I gave up coffee last year. This year, when we sat around the table and decided what we were gonna fast from as a family, they didn't tell it to me, but I could see in my son's eyes, Dad, you are not doing coffee again. <laughs> like, that was miserable. <laughs> so we went with Instagram and Facebook instead. Um, but you know, on Facebook, probably my least favorite posts, whoa, is that me? Probably my least favorite posts are on the local community pages. Uh, people of Omsville and Turner, uh, Community Connections, Omsville Community Connections, Staten Community, whatever they're called. You know the ones. You're on there. You see it. You see the chaos. It's like, a, it's like a train wreck. Like, you can't look away, but you're like, oh, this is so bad. I, I often think if you were going to move to a new community... If you went to those pages, would you still move here? <laughs> and, but, then, but then I realized, like, every community has those pages. Like, anywhere you're going to move, they probably, it's, it's, not, it's a human thing, you know, and it'd probably be just as bad. Um, but ne it never fails, right? This, this happens on there once a week, it seems like. Someone will post that they have a house for sale, a realtor will post a house for sale, or uh, someone's got a rental that's just gone up and they're looking for renters, and it never fails. People will start commenting and piling on, this is the most ridiculous price I've ever seen in my life, and I can't believe that you're that greedy, and none of these houses are worth that, and you know, just going to town every time. And on the one hand, I get it. Um, these prices are pretty ridiculous. I agree with that. And particularly, I mean, as someone who already owns his own home, I look at those who don't, and I look at our young adults in particular, and I think, man, we've really put them in an impossible situation uh, as a nation, and we should mourn that and try to fix that. Uh, so I totally, totally agree with that. But the truth is, no matter what I think, no matter what I'm willing to pay for that, I may not want it, I may not be able to afford it, but if someone else does and they can pay it, then that's what it's worth. I hate that, but that's, that's economy 101, right? Something is worth what you're willing to pay for it. 
you and I are so valuable to God that he paid the highest price you can imagine to redeem us. He gave his son to save not like just some spiritual part of us that will one day float off into heaven and we'll play harps in the sky. That is not the biblical vision of heaven. Jesus came and gave his life not just to redeem some spiritual part of you, but your whole self, including your body. That's how much your heavenly father loves you and me. That's, he looks at you and he says, he's worth it. She's worth it. And I go, no, I'm really not. I'm really not. He says, you are to me. Therefore, Paul says, this is his argument, in light of that, right, in light of the far-reaching consequences of sexual sin, in light of how you've been uniquely created and wired in the image of God, and in light of what God has done for you in his son Jesus, honor God with your bodies. Don't do it because the church is pressuring you to do it. It's just a church thing. Don't, don't do it because the, there's a culture war thing and this is how we gotta do if we're gonna be on this side of the culture war. No, no, those aren't the reasons Paul gives. The reason he gives is because of what Jesus has done for you and his body. So how do we do that, right? How do we honor God with our bodies? How do we honor the bodies of others? I wanna just really quickly give you four guardrails to consider to set up in your life, Okay. Number one is invest in your marriage. Now, this is, you probably, probably didn't see that coming. Um, I want to be really careful here to those of you in the room and those of you watching online who are going to read into this the wrong way. I would never blame anyone for the actions of anybody else. I wouldn't even blame you for your own actions. I think a lot of times we do things that we don't even know why we're doing them. So if you've been cheated on, if you've been abused, if you've Someone's walked out on you. Okay, I'm not saying that is your fault. Please hear me on that. Does everybody hear me on that? I'll just say, in the vast majority of cases of all the years I've been meeting with couples where infidelity is a part of their story, not every time, but the vast majority of the time, the affair is a symptom of a problem more than the problem itself. That we let things go Right? We stopped investing in one another. We stopped listening to one another. We started hurting one another with our words. We started doing all the things we know don't create a healthy marriage. And then this happens. And so one of the best ways we can guard ourselves and guard our spouses from infidelity is to wake up every day and say, I'm gonna invest in my marriage. And again, I get it. You can do that every day and all the right things. It takes two people to be married. It takes two people to have a marriage break up. I understand that. So I'm not blaming anybody. But it's the whole saying, and you've probably heard this before, if the grass looks greener in your neighbor's lawn, water your own. <laughs> you've heard that before, right? I'm not the first preacher to say that. If you're going, boy, their marriage looks great, and that person looks great, and I bet they have it all together. They would be so much better over there, right? That's the grass is always greener. Invest in your marriage. Water your own lawn. That is, that is the number one guardrail, okay? Number two, avoid being alone with people who tempt you. And I purposely worded that, who tempt you. They're not the problem. Don't blame them. Who tempt you. 
Um, this is true whether you're married or not, if you're trying to stay faithful to God in this area. And there are just some people who, for whatever reason, are, are more problematic for us. Uh, we're more attracted to them. Maybe there's a past history there that's connected to that. Uh, maybe there's already been some hints and some flirts and some stuff happening. Maybe they don't even know it, but you do, okay? You don't need me to tell you who this is. You sense it. And this is just as true online as it is in person. We need to decide who we're going to be alone with online, who we're going to message with, who we're going to be friends with. And your spouse should probably be a part of that conversation if you're married. Uh, Cassie and I, she's not sitting here. She was first service. But if there was someone that made Cassie uncomfortable, she saw something or whatever, and and she said, hey, I, I just really don't think that you guys should be friends online or whatever. Even if I didn't see it or I didn't get it, I'd be like, peace out. I love my wife more than you. Sorry, right? Um, and here's the thing. As a guy, I think this is a guy thing. I don't know, girls, maybe it's true for you, but like, I, I am terrible at seeing if someone's flirting with me. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And, and so, if, I mean, this hasn't happened very often, but if Cassie mentioned something, I, I'd be like, yeah. did you just laugh that people don't flirt with me? Is that what just happened? That's not what I meant. I get flirted with all the time. Man. Anyway, um, but Cassie will point something out, and I'm like, no, it's just harmless. She's like, mm, it's not harmless. You know, like, I don't know. She sees things differently than me. And again, I don't know if that's a guy and girl thing, um, but I'm terrible. I don't know how to flirt. So maybe that's why I don't know if you're flirting with me. Um, and so I just, I trust my spouse on this and we help each other with this, right? We hold each other accountable on this because we love each other. We love our marriage. We love our kids. Uh, number three, establish strong internet filters. The average age of exposure to pornography is 11. Some studies have it as low as eight, depending on what you read. And you and I know, like, most eight-year-olds, they're not looking for it. It finds them in places they don't expect. That's the world we're living in. So we need filters on our phones, on our laptops. Um, and you say, well, oh, yeah, those guys and their porn problem. This isn't a guy problem, by the way. Uh, one out of every three visitors to a pornographic website is a woman. Does that surprise you? It surprised me because I'm a guy. I don't know how you girls think. It shocked me. <laughs> But that's changed dramatically in the last 15, 20 years. It didn't used to be that way, but it is now. So we need, we need some filters. There's great ones out there. Covenant Eyes is one I'd recommend. It's very popular. It's, it's easy to find, Covenant Eyes. And I would just say, if you need help with this, like, you can reach out. Email me, message me, not on Facebook, because I'm not on there right now for 20, 20 days. What are, where are we at? Anyway, email me. Um, we actually did a whole seminar, that, like, well, a year and a half ago or so, about internet safety for parents and how to set this up in your home and your kids. So somewhere we've got that packet we can print out and walk you through. Um, but there's a lot of options. We just have to be proactive. We just have to realize this is a guardrail that I need in my life. And I don't know anyone in this room that wouldn't benefit from it. Even if you say, well, that's not an area for me. Again, why would you, why would you let it be? Just go ahead and, and, and put it on your phone anyway, right? Number three. And then number four is talk about it. Um, I recognize for some of us in this room, this entire morning has been very uncomfortable. And I'm, I understand that. So I can't believe we're talking about sex this much in church. And my only comment to that would be, first of all, I understand that it can be uncomfortable. But every other sphere of society is talking about it. We're talking about it everywhere else but church. That's a problem. 
That means we're allowing the world to have the narrative. And how's that going? I would say it's not going real well. So this is a regular topic that, that we need to just get comfortable in. Um, and, and one of the ways, one of the guardrails is being willing to talk about it, being willing to sit down with other people that you trust and say and, and share your, your struggles in this area and, and your temptations, to get with other brothers and sisters in Christ and swap strategies for how you flee. How do you guard yourself? What have you seen work for you? Because when we mess up, we don't want to hide in shame. We want to confess and find freedom. But if we can't talk about it in a healthy way, that's exactly what will happen. Shame will creep in. We'll hide. We'll not talk to anybody about it. We'll become a secret teller, a secret keeper. We'll become a liar rather than confessing it to God and find healing, right? Just like we said earlier, sexual sin is not any more unforgivable than any other sin. But for some reason, it's the one we have the hardest time confessing. Like I've been in men's groups, guys, I'm gonna pick on you a little bit, but I've been in men's groups where it's like, not that we'd ever write a small group. This is not going to make anyone sign up for life groups. I got to be, be, I gotta be careful how I say this. I would never write a question that's like, share your deepest, darkest sexual sin with everyone in the group. You know, it's like, wow. I met them four minutes ago, okay? But I've been in circles where guys who've known each other for decades and think that they're super open and we're supporting each other. And then all of a sudden there's a divorce or there's an affair. And everyone in their small group, did you know that was happening? No. Because we don't have anybody to talk about this stuff with. Now, I'll close with this. To some people, I know this may be extreme, outdated. There's probably someone watching this online that's like, Mike, that is so oppressive and backwards, and you need to get with the times. And like, I understand all that stuff. But can you just imagine with me for a second if we got this right? Even if you don't agree with other things in Scripture, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you practice the biblical ethic of sex, can you imagine what would be different? Not just individually, but as a society, as a nation, as a world. There would certainly be less divorce. I can promise you that. Which means there'd be less kids growing up in a home without a mom and a dad. The number of unwanted pregnancies would drop dramatically which would lead to lower rates of poverty, especially in the developing world, which would lead to lower rates of crime and incarceration, the two things that, the thing that drives crime more than anything is poverty. There would be less abortion. There'd be less kids in foster care, less abuse, less domestic violence and assault. And here's what I know. No one plans to wreck their life in this area. We just don't plan not to. We don't have a proactive approach. So I'm begging you to set up some guardrails for you. I'm begging you to take this serious. You, might, you don't need my, those four. You might have your own. That's totally fine. But, I, and you go, oh, I seem so paranoid. I, I don't know. I I don't think you'll look back on your life 10 years from now and regret setting some firm guardrails in this area, but I definitely think it's possible that you'll regret not doing so. So I'm begging you to get serious and set some guardrails for you, for your children, your family, for your future spouse, future life. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, I, I know how heavy uh, this topic is. You could feel it in the room. And sometimes maybe we come into these environments and we're like, wow, this is, I can't believe this is the, the topic today, but it's, it's the topic everywhere else. And your word has so much good things to say, so much practical wisdom in this area. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to hear your voice this morning, not mine. What is it that you're saying to each one of us? What guardrails do we need to put in place? What, what needs to be confessed so it can be healed? And who can we do that with? How do we need to, to heal up? And, and where do we need to make some, some better boundaries so that we don't fall off the cliff? Right? Boundaries do us, or guardrails do us no good once we've already fallen off. Lord, how do we create some margin? How do we flee sexual temptation in the world that entices us with it hour by hour? Lord, would your Holy Spirit encourage us, give us the strength, and honor you with our bodies? We pray this in your name. Amen.